Welcome to Brit David Podcast, as Pastor Tim continues his verse-by-verse study of 2 Timothy with a message entitled, Contrasting Examples of Christian Fellowship, from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15-18. through 18. Fellowship among Christians is important. It is important to be a part of a church family. Some stop going to church because they get their feelings hurt, or some other disappointment that leads them to leave others in the lurch. Sometimes you discover how much you need Christian fellowship when you don't have it anymore. Here's Pastor Tim. Thank you, Kathy. I figured since we sang, Lord, plant my feet and help me stand, I figured I'd give it a shot. We'll see how it goes. I told him upstairs, if I fall out, just move the camera to something a little bit more pleasant to look at. We'll just see how it goes. Second Timothy is where we are. Hope you have your Bible. Go ahead and turn there with me. Uh, Tim, Second Timothy chapter number one. Second Timothy is a very personal book, uh, just like many of Paul's uh, letters that he writes specifically to individuals. But one of the things that makes this one even more personal is the fact of the, of the other people that are mentioned in the book. 23 different people are mentioned by name by Paul in this particular letter. So when you have such a, such a short book with just a few chapters and so many people that are mentioned, there's a lot of room to, to be able to talk about those. Remember that Paul is writing to Timothy, who is the young pastor. He is the new pastor, so to speak. He's been pastor about, for about three years at the church in Ephesus. And, uh, and as Paul is now facing the very end of his life, is passing along to young Timothy some of those things that he really needs to know as a pastor and some of the things that he's going to face. One of the things that he's going to face, obviously, are a variety of people and personalities. Sometimes those people and personalities, they click, and sometimes those people and personalities clash, don't they? I mean, it's just the way that it is. As, as we are humans, the, um, uh, you're always going to find that that's, that's the case, even within the church family. There's always going to be some that you are closer to than others, some that you feel more akin to. There's some that will uh, immediately want to follow what you are doing or what you wish to do in your service to the Lord. And then there are those who will, you know, for... <laughs> for a lack of a better way to be able to say it, will be obstacles to what you choose to do. And so you begin to see those things, not only in church itself as we experience it, but you see it in the Scriptures as the church begins to be described. And you see it in this church in Ephesus as well. You're going to see some people that are mentioned out of those 23 that are real helpful to Paul, and they, they, are, they mean a lot to him. And you can tell by the way that he speaks to them, like Timothy as he talks about his, his, his grandmother Eunice and his mother Lois and, 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 how, and, and, and how their faith then was, was passed on to Timothy. And he talks about them in such dear and wonderful terms. And then you find people like we're going to talk about in, in some weeks, Alexander the coppersmith, uh, who he says, this man did me much harm. And you'll find those folks throughout the scriptures as we talk about them. And tonight you get to see that. Tonight you get to see really what I would call contrasting examples of Christian fellowship. 
We know that we're supposed to have Christian fellowship and we know that we thrive on Christian fellowship and that we thrive on that in the life of the church. But there are some contrasts in how um, in how we relate to people, and so we get to see that. So since it's a contrast, I really have two things I want to contrast with you tonight. The first one is this. You're going to find some people <laughs> who add to your misery. You know, they add to your misery through abandonment specifically. That's what we look at in this passage as we open it up. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and picking up our reading in verse number 15. Paul writes to Timothy and says this, This you know. You know, you don't have to tell people, do you? When you're about to to start talking about folks that kind of get under your skin a little bit, you don't have to tell them much. You're not telling them something that they don't already know. This you already know. He knows because of his relationship to Paul how this has happened in Paul's life. And now he, as the young pastor, is beginning to learn some of these things himself. So he says, this you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, when I begin to talk about those people who add to misery because of their abandonment, Paul writes in here in a way that we typically talk. He says, all those in Asia have abandoned me. All of those have. Has everybody really abandoned him? No. It's, you know, we we learned in English the use of hyperbole, and Paul uses it often. In fact, he's going to use the same thought when he gets to chapter number four, and he's basically going to say the same thing. He's going to say, no one stood with me. Everybody forsook me. And and, and in this case, we're going to find out tonight, it's really not everybody, because there's somebody that he looks at and he says, this person has stayed faithful to me just as Timothy has. So when we go through those times and and there are people that are like sandpaper to us. By the way, God will send people who are sandpaper to you, right? If you're doing woodworking, sandpaper's good, isn't it? You know, it's necessary. There, There are folks that you may not like, but they're necessary in your life and God sends them. Doesn't mean that it's pleasant. Certainly doesn't mean that it's pleasant to go through. And Paul's living through that and Timothy is about to. But to be able to say that it's everybody, it's not necessarily true as far as we would say literally everybody. It's just a way of saying, really, it feels like the majority. It feels like everybody has turned away from me. That word that he uses there for turned away, he's also going to use that again. He's going to talk about a group of people in chapter 4 who have turned away from the truth. In other words, literally, as you would think about somebody who turns away or turns aside, they're turning their back or they're turning something to, in that case in chapter 4, to the truth and turning their attention then to something else. In chapter 1, when he uses that in verse number 15, he says, they have turned away, not from the truth, they have turned away from me. Turned away from me. They, they, in the same way that, that those folks in chapter 4 have turned away from the truth and turned towards something else, these people have turned away from Paul and now have turned towards somebody else. That's hard to, that's, that's, it's hard to take. 
It's hard to find when people not only will just kind of deny the faith or deny where they're going, but then it hurts worse when it's you. We talk about this being a personal letter. That's a personal verse. It hurts personally when somebody turns away from you. Now, I don't know who these people are. Phygelus and Hermogenes. I don't know them. We don't, we don't find them anywhere else in Scripture. We, we find them in some, some uh, Scriptures that are, are something that's written outside of Scripture. But we don't really find anything in the Bible. So it tells me at least that Paul would mention them and tell Timothy, you know, here's a, here's a couple of people that have turned away from me. You know, he says, which are, among whom are. So this is representative. If there's a whole group of people that Paul would say, everybody's turned away from me, and these two are part of them, even though I don't know their names, Paul knew their names. I I think that they were important to Paul. I think they were important to the ministry. I think they were prominent leaders in that church where they were. You know, it's, it's, it's hard enough to see somebody come into the fellowship of the church and not really get involved and then just kind of suddenly fall away. But really, when you have somebody who comes in and they're an important part and they have leadership potential, you know, they are really doing something and they matter and what they do matters. And then they fall away. Again, I'm telling you, it's hard to take and it is personal, isn't it? I, I can tell you from a pastoral perspective, it is misery, you know? You ever get a clue that that's going to happen? Sometimes. Sometimes you can get a clue. Paul should have gotten a clue. You've got these two people's names. Phygelus is a word that literally comes from a word that literally means to run away. <laughs> it, was a word, it was a word that became fugitive for them. I mean, if you expect somebody to run away, just name him, you know. I, I want you to run away. And, and, and Hermogenes is named after the Greek, in Greek mythology, Hermes. Do you remember him? He's the guy that's got the wings on his, on his heel. Why? Because he's so fast. You know, these are two guys that are gone. You know, they're out of here quickly, and their names even uh, give them a little bit of a hint of that. I'm not really sure that's why they left, but left they did. See, these are people that are involved in ministry, they're involved in leadership, they're involved in the work of God, and then suddenly seem to have just left Paul hanging. They abandoned him. They deserted him. They forsook him, if I can use the word that Paul himself uses by the time we get over to chapter number four. Now, here's something else that I want to point out to you before we move on to the good stuff. He mentions that in verse number 15, he says, This you know that all those in Asia, he's not talking about China, is he? He's not talking about the Far East. He's talking about their region of Asia. He's talking about Turkey. He's talking about Iraq. He's talking about Iran. He's talking about that kind of part of the world. You're the most prominent city in the region of Asia was? It was Ephesus. Paul is talking to young Timothy about the very church where he ministers, where he goes to, where the people that he begins to look to. You know the circumstances. 
that, uh, that, that greeted me pretty quickly uh, when I first came to Britt David. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't long, it wasn't even three months when we found out that we had a, a secretary that was stealing from us. And, uh, but you know, what led up to that was, was that split that happened within the church. You know, everybody, everybody, pastor, everybody on staff left except for that one secretary. Of course, now I know why she didn't leave, you know. <laughs> but I remember early on t- telling her and saying, I am so glad that you stayed. You know, boy, was I wrong. I'm so glad that you stayed because I wouldn't know how any of this stuff works around here. You know, but you obviously know how, how everything works. You know, there are sometimes when, when you find somebody and they just don't fit the bill. That's Phygelus and Hermogenes. Because they have left him in the lurch. They've added to the misery of Paul. And if, Paul, if Timothy's not careful, they'll add to the misery of Timothy as well. All right, let's get off of that. I mean, we're talking about contrast, right? So, so on one hand, you do. I mean, you really do have some people who add to your misery because of their abandonment. But then there are other people who add to your ministry. They add to your ministry through assistance. In other words, they genuinely are helpful in what they do. You know, in the same way that you've got Phygelus and Hermogenes who who kind of leave Paul hanging, there's some people who just stick with you. They, They stick with you through thick and thin. When good times are there, they're with you. When bad times are there, they're with you. I mean, they are the true meaning of a genuine friend and a genuine partner in ministry. That's really what we're looking for, isn't it? We want to have some real partners in ministry. Somebody who can co-labor right alongside of us. Somebody who is interested in the very same kinds of things and the same kind of outcomes that we are when it comes to the life of the church. And these last few verses that we want to look at really describe that kind of person. I don't know that I want to make much of the fact that there are two people that he says adds misery to his life, and then there's only one person that adds to his ministry. I don't, I don't think it really works out exactly that way. But in this case, that's the examples that he gives to us. In this particular case, there's a man by the name of Onesiphorus. You see his name that's there in verse number 16. By the way, I gave you those other guys' names to run away, and then named after the guy, the Greek, uh, the Greek god of whatever he is, of swiftness or whatever. Onesiphorus names means to be helpful, to be profitable. You know, here, here is somebody who is indeed profitable to ministry, and Paul is blessing him and blessing his whole family as he refers to them simply as his whole household. Look at what he says in verse number 16. The Lord grant mercy... To the household of Onesiphorus. And then he begins to list for us in these next two and a half verses. Maybe the accolades, if it's okay to use that word, of the, of the things that, that Paul looks at in his life and says, this is why he adds value to me. This is why he adds to my ministry. This is why I consider Onesiphorus to be helpful, to be so profitable for me. All right, so let me just give you these, there are four of them. Number one, we can almost hear Paul say, 
He invigorated my will. He invigorated my will. You know, we talked this morning about where John the Baptist was when, uh, when the reports came about Jesus and the fact that he had healed that, uh, that dead boy and all the things that had happened. Remember where he was? He was in jail, right? You know where Paul is when he's writing this? He's in jail. John, I don't think John ever got out of that prison at that particular point. The Bible doesn't directly draw that line, but I don't think he ever got out. And he's going to be executed and be beheaded there. Paul's not getting out of this one either. This is his swan song. This is his last letter. It's the very last thing that he has to write. And we talked about this morning how John the Baptist, you know, just sort of succumbed to those doubts. It's so difficult to, to be, even, even though doubt can attack at any time and anywhere, to be in a prison and to see the ministry beginning to wane right before you, I mean, it's, it's almost a recipe for doubt. It's a recipe for problems. Paul's living in exactly the same recipe. And yet we don't see that same flavor of doubt that's creeping into him. We talked this morning about how, you know, how do you combat that? One of the things you do is you guard your heart. The Bible says you guard your heart with all diligence because out of it spring the issues of life. Paul seems to have set a guard over himself so that he's aware of these temptations and he's aware of these attacks and he's ready to combat them. Paul's not perfect and he's going to struggle. He's going to struggle even, it seems like, even in this letter some. But his faith is steady. And he says, even though my will now has kind of gotten down just a little bit, Onesiphorus comes along and he invigorates me again. He gives me life. He, 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 just, sort of, he, he just sort of helps me so much that, that, that I feel like I can do what I used to be able to do. You know, you need somebody like that, right? Do you see what it says there in verse 16? The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. The word that Paul uses for refreshed is a word that means to blow across. Specifically, to blow cool air across. So if on a typical Sunday you're sitting right over here, you know that the vent is right there, <laughs> right? And the cold air blows down on you. Now in the winter, nobody likes to sit there. But in the summertime, everybody likes to sit there. So that's where the cool air comes. That's where the refreshing comes, right? We would, we would say it like this, maybe, Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he is like a breath of fresh air to me. Do you know somebody like that? Man, they're just like a breath of fresh air. All the, all, the, all the problems and all the troubles, all the misery that has accompanied ministry seems to just fade away when that kind of person is there. They're so helpful. They're so profitable. They're so engaging. They invigorate you. They, they revive you. They restore you. They're such a great help. When that time comes, we might could even say, and you'll see it again before we get to the end of this, he cheers me up. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his verse-by-verse -verse study of 2 Timothy. 
Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at britdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.